Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investors Lounge podcast. My name is, once again, Brian Fitzgerald, and I'm sitting in with my good friend Jay Shaw and his lovely wife, Erica Spencer. Uh, On this podcast, we are sitting down with Rachel Oliver. Uh, Rachel Oliver is a full-time real estate entrepreneur and author of the best-selling book, Rent to Own Essential Guide for Home Buyers, which is only on Amazon.ca for now. She's often a speaker at many real estate related events and a mentor to many investors new and seasoned. Um, so we're going to sit with uh, Rachel tonight. And Rachel, how are you this evening? I'm terrific. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, hopefully I didn't steal too much of your uh, portfolio there. Um, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, well, it all started when I was born in Ukraine. <laughs> I'm not going to bore you with the, the long history of it. But uh, essentially, I, I come from a, wor- a corporate world uh, where I was uh, kind of C-level management. My last uh, job was actually uh, for an engineering company where I managed marketing and communications for them. And although I loved what I did and um you know, the corporate world was very good to me. I always, always, always deep down knew I was an entrepreneur. And the entrepreneurial life always appealed to me because I could set my own goals and I could be accountable to me. I could set my own hours. And ultimately, I could start to plan my life around what I wanted to do instead of what I had to do. And that's how I ended up here. That's amazing. That's, that's awesome. So what made you actually start in investing in real estate? I think real estate was something that I had always known was a way to create um, income without necessarily having to trade your time for money. And that was really appealing to me. And that seed, I think, was planted a long, long time ago, probably in my 20s. And, uh, of course, I'm not much older now. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Hmm. (laughs) Um, no, that was that was actually planted um, probably over 20 years ago, and I I always kind of had it in the back of my mind. But it wasn't until uh, a, a you know a trigger uh, that actually brought me back to thinking that I needed to do something about it. And I feel that in life, you know, you either get you know a bat over the head or you're disciplined enough to start moving it in a direction proactively. I was one of those people who had the bat <laughs> over the head. I got diagnosed with a pretty aggressive form of breast cancer in my early 30s. And coincidentally, I had just had my first child. And about six weeks after, I found myself getting a diagnosis of something that I didn't even know was, you know, in my in my genes. And um, it it was a rude awakening. Um, The first six months of my life uh, with my baby was spent 
with me going to treatments, to appointments, sitting in hospital waiting rooms, and just passing my baby off from one babysitter to another. So, uh, you know, Erica, you're on the line. You can imagine how that would feel. I think only moms can really, really relate to the agony that you can experience in that situation. So it wasn't so much the diagnosis of a breast cancer. It was the fact that my time was no longer my own. And that's when I really had a lot of time to kind of reflect um, about six months into, you know, into her life. I realized that I missed the first six months of her life. And that's time I cannot get back. I can always, you know, replenish money and I can always, you know, build up my ego again and uh, lick my wounds, but I can't ever get that time back. And it was such precious time. So at that point, I realized that I need to have a plan on how I'm going to harness my time and how am I going to um, be more in control of my time. And real estate was going to give me that avenue. Wow, Rachel, I never knew that part of your story, so that's I can definitely relate. I mean, you know, we have a one-year-old child, and I can't imagine having dealt with something that big uh, and stressful at the same time as a new baby, so that's, um, I'm glad that's behind you. Oh, absolutely, and you know what? I'm really grateful that it happened. In, in a way, I, I don't think I would value where I am today as much. I would probably take it for granted. Maybe I wouldn't work as hard to to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I, I really do believe everything happens for a reason, and I'm grateful for the journey that I'm on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate, maybe not in the same way, but that something big in your life kind of changes your why and kind of redirects you and really uh, makes you work harder than you ever did, right? So, I mean, I totally appreciate that that sentiment for sure. Um, just kind of moving on to the next kind of question, we're looking at like where do you actually invest? Like so you said how you got started, but typically like, do you have an area of focus or um, is there an area that, that you prefer to kind of go back to? Just talk a little bit about that if you can. Sure. So uh, the real estate um, investing journey seemed to be quite daunting when I started looking at all the different possibilities. And of course, the natural tendency was to go towards the, you know, owning a rental and looking at rental properties. And, you know, I, I kind of, I, I had a, a husband and I, I call him Mr. No, because when I said to him, let's look at real estate and let's, you know, start owning properties and collecting rental income, his response was no. I don't know anything about real estate. I don't want to deal with tenants. It just seems risky. I don't understand the real estate market. There's just so many reasons why he was saying no to it. So I figured, okay, well, I obviously have to make a stronger business case for this possibility. So we went to a, um, a, a, I guess, one of those weekend seminars. Um, It was one of the American guys that was uh, coming in to our town, and they were doing a, you know, a two-day workshop and they were kind of giving you the lay of the land all the different opportunities you know and uh you know you can go in this direction with real estate or you can go that and it seemed like there's so many more other avenues other than just your straight on rentals because we had looked at some rentals with a real estate agent we knew and the 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 people that were occupying those rentals were quite undesirable in my in my mind um they they didn't seem like the type of people that looked after the property there were holes in the walls the, the toilets looked like they hadn't been cleaned in at least a year, it, it just didn't seem to align with my vision of, you know, these, um, when I'd walk into a rental, I just wanted to hear the angel singing, oh, you know, and that wasn't happening. 
So, <laughs> and on top of that, the bottom line, you know, the cash flow on these properties, again, was disenchanting because, you know, some of, and, and these were the best of the best. Apparently, they, you know, $180 in monthly cash flow was great. And this was the Durham market um, in Durham, Ontario. And that's where we lived at the time. It was kind of our backyard. And that, that's naturally where we gravitated to invest. But we didn't know anything about what Durham represented and the potential that it had. All I could see was, you know, the dirty toilet and thinking, okay, these people are going to damage the property. That $180 a month is going to go to fixing something that these people are going to damage and then potentially they're going to damage something else. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, tenants and toilets, that is, you know, I I feared it. It it was something that was weighing me down because I wanted something that would free me up time-wise. Remember, my goal was to capitalize on my time freedom so if i was going to exit my corporate world i really needed something that would give me some control over my time and tenants and toilets didn't seem like it was a great reason for me to exit the corporate world nor was i going to get predictable income from it so i started kind of mapping out what my criteria was and when we were at that weekend seminar with the guru from the u.s i learned about the rent-to-own option, or it was called lease options at the time. And then um, essentially we, you know, realized it's the same thing as rent-to-own, and we just went with the name rent-to-own. What appealed to me about it was that tenants and toilets were off the table. Literally, <laughs> you were dealing with a homebuyer mentality. You were dealing with people <clears throat> who really wanted to uh, overcome a setback and get into home ownership. And that's where I really saw myself being of value. And that's where I really wanted to, that's where I connected with that strategy. And that's why we focused on exclusively the rent to own path. I think, I mean, that's, you know, I think you've really mapped out a bit of a niche there, right? Because I think you identified, um, you know, really what you didn't want and you really were able to kind of create a bit of a segue in terms of, uh, in terms of what you wanted to invest in. So, Rachel, talk to us a little bit more about rent-to-own because I think uh, there's, uh, rent-to-own has a very uh, interesting dynamic, right? Because I think, uh, you know, there are companies out there that, that do it very well, like your own. Um, and then there's also, let's call them some unscrupulous uh, business people that don't do it very well. So talk to us a little bit about rent-to-own and how the program works. So rent-to-own is, um, from a home buyer's point of view, an opportunity to overcome some of their challenges of qualifying for a mortgage so for example someone has five percent down they've been you know working hard saving up the money but they didn't realize that certain blemishes on their credit might be working against them and they didn't know enough to fix those blemishes so they mosey on over to the bank um, and start you know daydreaming about the home that they're going to buy and the bank shuts them down because while the blemishes on their credit really don't allow them to get into a mortgage situation with just 5% down because with those blemishes, they're now labeled a bit of a credit risk. And so the people now were thinking, okay, what are my options? I can go and continue renting and, you know, depleting my savings potentially. And most people don't know the first thing about improving their credit. So there's a bit of frustration there. And it just perpetuates um, a a cycle of frustration. Whereas rent to own allows those people with five percent to essentially get into home ownership through a private arrangement with a private investor like my husband and I. So we will check their credit. We will, you know, figure out 
how blemished is their credit? Can they repair it within two years? Can they repair, repair their credit within three years? Or will it take four years? You know, in the case of someone who maybe had a bankruptcy and they're still recovering from that major blemish. So we use their credit really to evaluate how long they'll need to be in a rent-to-own, meaning how long will we have to hold title on a property that they are renting to own from us. And um, it's a very viable transaction. And ultimately, you know, it really becomes more than a transaction. It becomes a relationship. And that's where we started to see an opportunity to do rent-to-owns quite differently than what we were seeing. A lot of the people out there, like Jay, you're pointing out, there's people who were doing rent-to-owns way before we got started in this um, place. But what <laughs> what was interesting is that when you hear people talking about rent-to-own, they were often talking, you know, it was a bit of a smirk on their face, and it was a little bit of a kind of like, yeah, rent-to-owns, yeah, they, you know, they never work out, but you can make great money at it, you know, and kind of like, <laughs> and they nudge you. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean by that. And then I found out that a lot of people were in rent-to-owns that, when you say unscrupulous, uh, how I define that um, is that the rent-to-own works in the favor of the investor side of the equation, but not necessarily in the home buyer side of the equation. Is that how you meant? You know, when you mentioned, yeah, I think it was kind of. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you our story. We had a we had a property where we had a tenant in there and he was interested in, in purchasing the property from us. And he was, we kind of said, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't purchase it right away. And we said, you know, we'd be open to a rent to own with you. And he's like, and the way he described it was like, what's that? Is that like a good, good idea for you or a good, a good plan for you and a not so good plan for me. And that was the way that, you know, it was kind of described to us. And I mean, that's not really how we ever set up any of our rent owns. We set them up a little differently than yours, but I mean, we want it to be win-win, right? And I think some people out there don't set it up that way. They set it up where it's, like you said, it's good for the investor and not so good for the uh, the tenant buyer. Yeah. And that's, unfortunately, there's a stigma as a result because so many times rent owns were not done in a way that worked out for everybody. The word win-win was something that was used, you know, back in 2009 when we were looking at this strategy. But nobody was really practicing win-win. Win-win seems to be had a very loose definition that still favored the investor getting ahead because they were, you know, doing this huge favor for the, the need for rent to own. So originally the plan was that we would invest through somebody and, you know, make it more of a passive investment because, again, I really wanted to generate cash flow and I wanted to just keep on buying properties that gave me strong cash flow without needing to rely on my job paycheck. That was my plan. And every time we would kind of, you know, look to see who in our industry was doing rent-to-owns, we were not coming up with anyone who was doing it in a way that we felt it should be done. And ultimately, my husband, who normally says no to everything, actually stepped up and said, you know what, if we rework the numbers just a little bit, a little bit and re-engineer these parts of the rent-to-own process, we could actually just do it ourselves and do it in a way that aligns with our values and aligns with our objectives so that we could sleep soundly at night knowing that we've done everything we can to put that home buyer in a situation that will allow them to achieve their goal of home ownership because if they are successful that means my return on investment um, is going to be consistent and my cash flow is going to be predictable so yes I had my own interests at heart but I know that the path to my success and profits 
is actually by helping the family that is renting to own through us. And, and we did that. Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't plan it that way, but it just kind of um, organically grew in that direction. Hence the win-win situation, right? Correct. Awesome. Obviously, rent-to-owns is your bread and butter, um, but when it comes to actually picking a property, what type of properties are you actually investing in? What do they look like? Well, the properties, so with rent-to-owns, and, uh, you know, this often comes up because rent-to-owns have kind of a, a dual approach. You can start with the property side of the equation, or you can start with um, the people. And we've done both. When we first started out, um, we, you know, we decided, okay, well, what's the difference? You can, you know, buy a property and find somebody to rent to own it because you don't want, you know, you know, tenants to ruin the property and you want to hold it for three years and benefit from appreciation and consistent cash flow. It sounds logical. A lot of people were doing it that way. Um, but, you know, a lot of people were also saying that they were having only 50% success with it in that 50, only 50% of the time that home buyer would actually successfully be able to complete the rent-to-own process and hold up their end of the bargain to pay you consistently for the, you know, for the two or three years that they were locked in and then exit at the purchase price that was predetermined. And I thought, well, 50%, okay, well, you know, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm sure I'll make it work better. And we tried that path, and uh, we realized that there's a pitfall um, with going that property route. And we thought originally it was, well, maybe it's the types of properties we're picking. You know, maybe we shouldn't be doing, um, you know, bungalows. Maybe we shouldn't be doing, you know, um, I don't know, a brand-new construction type of a property. Maybe there's something to do with the type of property we're picking. And then in parallel, we were doing, you know, some other rent-to-owns because we refinanced our personal residence and we had enough cash to do four rent-to-owns. So one of the four was us helping a family find a property. So we qualified them first. We figured out what's their budget, what kind of criteria do they have, what really makes them um, get emotionally involved with the idea of being a homeowner and what kind of property would make sense for their lifestyle. And we noticed a totally different shift in the approach. The people that actually went house hunting with a real estate agent got to pick, you know, pick and choose the types of properties that gave them butterflies. The experience of the rent to own transaction shifted. And, you know, the, the people that came into the process through the property first did okay. And, you know, they, they, they managed to get through the process. But in the end, they still were wobbly. And it was because of us bending backwards in order to help them succeed that actually the transaction came to fruition at the end. But on the side where the people got to pick their properties from a pool of MLS listings, for example, the experience was totally different. We were actually dealing with people who were coming um, at the opportunity to rent to own from a place of positivity and empowerment. And it lifted us up and it made us that much more excited to help them. And you know what? Those types of people actually were more consistent in completing the process successfully. So we kind of got addicted to the people first, property second formula. And it's not a question of what kind of property. It turns out the property has to make sense for the rent to own family. It has to match their budget. It has to match their lifestyle. It, it has to be something that they see themselves, you know, growing in um, and evolving in over the next, you know, five, six, ten years. This is their big investment. And 
we let that drive the decision making around the property. Now you're probably thinking, I know you're probably thinking, okay, well, what about farm property? Is that, is that coming up for you? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Yes, there are certain constraints. Obviously as investors, we want to protect our, you know, our risk. We want to insulate ourselves from a risky situation. Anything can happen, right? So um, we don't go into rural areas and we don't, you know, go into properties that, um, might be difficult to finance at the end of the rent-to-own process for those home buyers. So, you know, we're really looking at areas that we can exit uh, easily out of or uh, that offer us multiple exit strategies because that's one of the beautiful aspects of a rent-to-own investment that my very conservative husband embraced, believe it or not. When I showed him that in a rent-to-own, when something doesn't go as planned, as investors, we all want to have lots of options when it comes to exit strategies. And rent-to-own presented lots of different strategies. And when you're in a community where there's people who might want to rent that property or there'll be multiple people who might be vying to purchase that property, it just gave us a lot more sense, sense of security. So we, we try to work with families that are looking to buy the types of properties in areas that are up and coming where there's, you know, um, a sense of community, it's a family-friendly area, there's schools, there's amenities, you know, areas that are going to be in demand. And in demand in terms of appreciation, uh, that gives us uh, both comfort because the tenant buyer, as we call them, the family that's renting to own, will see good appreciation value in that property after they take ownership. And we as investors know that that property is going to continue to grow uh, potentially higher even than what we forecasted during the rent-to-own term. So that kind of creates a bit of a win-win buffer as well. So we go into into communities that are family-friendly and have great um, potential for renter demand or uh, buyer demand. You can tell that you've done this before, Rachel, because you just kind of like wind you up and you go go along and answer all the questions pretty much in the order that we have them written down. So it, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll take a breath from here on in. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually being serious. Like Jay's like, ask her this question. I'm like, oh, she just answered that one. Check. <laughs> That's the end of our podcast. Thanks for coming out, Rachel. <laughs> I'm very efficient. I respect your <laughs> I definitely admire that. <laughs> Um, so I guess you can talk about maybe a little bit more about the demand for rent-to-own properties. Like in this market, um, you know, there's a whole lot of interest rate rises and low inventory, and uh, home buyers are getting kind of slammed from every different angle in terms of um, in mortgage rules and changes and stuff like that. So if you can maybe talk about are you seeing more of a demand, say, in the past, like, 6 to 12 months than usual, or, or like, what's your perspective on that? Well, it's it's interesting. I think that there is more awareness about the rent-to-own option, and that's why we're seeing uh, lifts partially due to that. And yes, there, you know, definitely there's um, the financing, the strict financing rules definitely come into play. And I think that a lot of people are now that becoming more aware that rent-to-own is a possibility, and they don't necessarily have to defer their desire to get into home ownership. Um, but at the same point, I think that a lot of people underestimate what rent-to-own does solve and what it doesn't solve. There's a lot of people that misunderstand. I mean, the word rent-to-own gets misconstrued and thrown around and stigmatized. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like an ugly duckling. Um, so one of, the, one of the challenges is that people 
home buyers understand that rent owns is not going to solve a problem of not being able to afford the type of house that they want. You know, we don't print money. <laughs> they still have to qualify for financing at the end of the rent own process. And that's where we find, um, yes, there's definitely a lot of people applying for a rent own program, but we're still noticing that there is a lack of understanding of what it truly does. You know, we work within the guidelines of their affordability. Whatever they can afford really dictates where they, what areas they can buy in, what type of property. Um, it could be a condo town. It could be a, a freehold town. It could be, you know, just a, a, like a, a, a small one-bedroom condo. There's, there's different parameters in terms of affordability. And a lot of home buyers don't make that connection. I find. So yes, stricter rules definitely pushing a lot more people to inquire about rent to own. But I wouldn't say that the pool of qualified candidates candidates has grown much. Does that make sense, Erica? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're seeing the same thing where it's like more people may want it or more, you know, want to be um, kind of considered, but it doesn't mean that, that they're any more approved than, than, you know, the next guy, right? So I, I totally agree with that. Exactly. And, and I think that will continue to be one of the challenges um, for the home buyer segment of the population. Values are continuing to grow, especially in the price point that we play in. And we do that, obviously, strategically. But it does um, then keep a lot of the people who would want to rent to own not still not able to afford that entry level price point. So they still have to have a certain income in order to be able to meet the lender's criteria at the end and as property values keep on growing meeting that lender criteria is going to get harder and harder and harder so rachel walk us through a little bit about some of the due diligence you do um when you're meeting uh, when you're meeting people because you're you're doing your rent home program is people first right so i mean it's not some some people teach property first um you're investing in the actual applicants so talk to us a little bit about some of the due diligence uh, that your company does um, before you're taking people out to go shopping. Right. Um, so now, now just remember, we're not real estate agents. We are just um, real estate entrepreneurs who specialize in rent-to-own deals. So we would um, essentially be screening a home buyer for our rent-to-own program, and then we would be working with um, you know real estate agents that know their stuff in a particular market, like you guys to actually take people out and show them, op, you know, options. So we we do the screening from the point of view of the end game. We always start with the kind of working it backwards. Where do they need to be in order to qualify for a, for a mortgage based on the rules getting even stricter than they are today? So what's interesting is that my husband, Mr. No, who didn't really know much about mortgages back in 2009, but when he put his first rent-to-own deal together for us, and, you know, the first few deals were just us, and um, when he was putting these deals together, one of the things that he said was, you know, mortgage rules are going to get stricter. Back then, when we were getting into real estate, you could actually, with great credit, get in with zero down. Do you guys remember those days? Were you involved in real estate back then? Uh, we were we were involved in the in the good days of the climb up in up in Niagara region. So we're, we're waiting for the we're waiting for the bad times. Okay, so back then I would call those the good times that we could actually you know we had corporate jobs, great incomes, great credit. 
um, the banks were willing to give us mortgages without us even having a down payment. All we had to do was cover closing costs. So it was just easy to start getting involved with, you know, investment properties. That's, that's terrific. Um, but at the same point, what we wanted to do was guarantee that the home buyers that are coming out of the rent-to-own process are going to be coming out, you know, fast forward two years, fast forward three years. And in some cases, we, I mean, we had a, uh, a lady who was a, a single mom just coming off of a divorce and had a teenage daughter. She really wanted to reduce her monthly payments. So she said, would you be willing to give me a rent-to-own term of five years? And we're like, oh, five years. It's a little bit, a little bit unconventional. It's a little bit lengthy, um, but we'll make an exception because she really wanted us to customize the program for her needs. And we kind of thought, okay, well, five years from now, where are the mortgage rules going to be? Where are the you know mortgage rates going to be? And my husband started to do a stress test before the stress test even had a name, before the stress test was even implemented by, you know, the bank. So back then, he would think, okay, well, I'm going to run the numbers to gauge her affordability based on interest rates that are double what they are today. So back then in 2009, let's say the interest rate was, you know, 2.5. So he would run her affordability at 5%. And he was establishing benchmark rates in the process. And again, he had no clue about mortgages. He was just going with his gut. And that's how he um, set up the rent-to-own process. And he maintained that approach over the years. And that actually has served us tremendously well. So when we screen somebody, we always kind of think about when are they going to be exiting and what are the mortgage rules going to be looking like? We obviously don't have a crystal ball. I wish we did. But we, you know, we we have common sense and we have, you know, almost a decade of experience with this. So we put that into play. And oftentimes, you know, we, we disappoint the home buyer side of the equation in terms of their buying power. Their buying power is usually uh, a point of contention. They think they can always afford more because they're thinking in terms of affordability at today's rates, whereas we're always qualifying them at much more conservative rates. So once we kind of get that out of the way, um, then we look at the credit. As I was saying, we use the credit to determine how long they need to be in the rent-to-own process. We don't want to keep them in the rent-to-own longer than they need to be in there. If it's two years, great. If it's three years, no problem. That's the average. Um, And then, of course, we also look for um, mindset and uh, we look for alignment. So one of the biggest reasons why rent-to-owns would fall apart on us back in the day (laughs) is that the wife is gung-ho she's like really you know motoring wants to go through the process but the husband is sitting there cross-armed cross-legged looking up into the ceiling and kind of like disengaged and even though that they would go through in the rent-to-own process well guess what the number one reason that those rent-to-owns would fall apart not because of the rent-to-own itself but because there was a marital problem and it was staring us blatantly in the face <laughs> uh, because there wasn't enough alignment on the couple's part. And we let those people into the rent own process. And then, of course, um, you know, the husband would leave or the wife would leave. And, it, you know, and that's why our rent owns would go sideways, not because the rent own was bad. So we started making sure that when we screen people that, you know, the, the couple is on the same page, that they both are committed, they're both invested, because that also ensures their success. And if they can be successful, we'll be successful. So those are kind of the, the three markers that we use to, to screen. 
So, so what you're saying is your husband is is responsible for the stress test that came through came down on us. Yes. Okay. Cool. That's right. Okay. So I'll, I'll give credit in the show notes for that. Um, uh, Rachel, what would you say is the success rate on, uh, on your portfolio when it comes to rent to owns? Like you described kind of, uh, some people being disengaged and, and, uh, marriage is falling apart, but what would you say is the success rate typically for you on rent to owns that go to term? We are very proud of our success rate. It's actually over 90%. 90 90% of the families that go through our rent-to-own program, follow our system, actually exit successfully into their own mortgage. The ones that make it to the end of the line all exit into their own mortgage. It's the ones that don't make it to the end of the line due to, you know, uh, like, again, like again, a separation or a divorce or a job loss. Those are usually the culprits. And again, our screening process is starting to weed those possibilities out. I don't think it'll ever be 100%. Um, success, you know, and I am an optimist, glass is always half full in, in my view, but I just think that there's certain things we cannot control. And to our best efforts, you know, uh, the, the people that we work with have to take responsibility and ownership of some of their choices as well. Talking away here and I'm on mute. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so Rachel, you've got a great um, tagline for your website, rethinking rentals. Um, why should people rethink uh, traditional rentals and look at rent-to-own as a viable alternative to investing in their own portfolio? Well, there's a bit of a story to that, Jay. Um, I was actually inspired to come up with that name um, because of one of the investors that we started working on. You know, kind of going back about, oh, I don't know, seven years or so, we tapped out. We couldn't uh, take on any more mortgages ourselves. We got shot, shut down by uh, Scotia. She basically said, we don't understand what you're doing. We can't really support what you're into. Go away. I didn't. I didn't think that a bank could fire a client, but they did, and uh, that's okay because I discovered the broker channel. But in the process, um, we realized that you know we open up the floodgates. We have all these home buyers contacting us looking for help with rent to own, but we're not able to support their needs. So we started to go out to kind of friends and family and friends of and family of their extended family. And we wanted to build a little bit of a network of people who we could reach out to and say, hey, we have this home buyer who wants to rent to own, and we're looking for an investor to, to take title um, on a property and essentially uh, help them rent to own. We'll put all the contracts together. We'll do all the screening. We'll do all the logistics. But, you know, do you want to be the investor on the deal? So as we started building up that network, there's this one gentleman named Frank who said, hey, I'm into real estate investing. Sure, I'll, I'll try this gig. And he had, um, I think, four or five rental properties. As it turned out, not all of those rental properties were generating positive cash flow, but he didn't mention any of that to us. Um, you know, he did his first rent-to-own with us, and um, he came back about six months later, and he said, I want to do four more rent-to-owns. And I said, wow, well, what, what, what's up with that? He says, well, I just sold four of my rentals because you made me rethink my rentals. These properties were not coming close to cash flowing as much as this rent to own property and the satisfaction of doing a rent to own deal compared to dealing with some of those tenants um, is, is nowhere near the same. So I'm liquidating my rental properties and I'm putting it all into rent to own properties. 
So when he said, you got me to rethink rentals, I got inspired. And that's where that name came from. And uh, Frank went on to actually have about 10 rent-to-owns through us. And it was because of him that we actually started putting together a program for um, other investors who don't have time to figure out how to put a rent-to-own deal and wanted to kind of piggyback on our success and on our expertise and um, defer to us for the, the turnkey uh, rent-to-own deal. And um, and that's kind of how it got started. It was thanks to Frank. Well, thanks, Frank. We appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Rachel, would you mind uh, giving us like a bit of a, a breakdown on the numbers um, for just an average uh, rent-to-own, like from purchase price, rents you charge, down payment, and then... Um, the the price the the price at at term. Sure. So we generally try to stay in the kind of entry level uh, purchase price zone. So anywhere from three fifty to four fifty. I guess that would vary depending where you are in Ontario. And we go anywhere in Ontario because we are not confined to having to deal with tenants and toilets and property management. We can work anywhere. Um, so let's just say, for sake of argument, on average, most properties are in the 350 to 450 um, price range. So a typical investment in that case would be about 75 to 85 thousand dollars, and that accounts for you know closing costs, fees, um, land transfer tax, like you know everything in, including the 20 percent down payment to to the lender. And on that 70, so let's say 75 thousand will work with the lower end. So on a $75,000 investment, um, you know, basically we see about 25% return on investment per year. So on a four-year rent-to-own deal, I'm doubling my money. And the money comes at you kind of, um, comes back to you in in two ways. First of all, um, I kind of, I have a cash flow every month and the cash flow can be anywhere from $500 to $700. Um, there's a bit of a range, and I can explain if you guys want to understand why the range. Um, so generating a monthly cash flow, and then there is a kind of a capital gain at the end when the rent-to-own deal closes. And we appreciate our properties on a rent-to-own based on a very modest appreciation rate. So let's say anywhere from 35 to 4.5% per year. And I know some people probably are now rolling their eyes. What about the markets that are seeing 10, 12, 17, you know, percent annual appreciation? You're leaving money on the table. Are you guys thinking that? I'm, I'm sure there's table money left on the table in 2016, 2017, but I don't know. I think I don't think you're out to lunch on these. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. That's actually a very strategic response. And yes, um, yes, perhaps in you know 2016 and 2017, there was an opportunity for the tenant buyers who are going through our rent-to-own process to make money. And you know what? I am totally okay with that because I was generating 25% return on investment no matter what. And I was happy with that. I wasn't speculating for 35, 45% if things, you know, went in my favor. This isn't a casino uh, experience. This is kind of like, here is my forecasted return, and I'm happy with that return. And if all things go well um, for them, they will get more equity in the deal at the end. But that's their carrot to get to the finish line. As home buyers who are doing rent-to-own, I want them to have incentive. I want them to 
to covet that extra equity that's going to be sitting there when they exit into their own mortgage. But I'm still making my five to seven to eight hundred dollars in monthly cash flow. And on some deals, I'm seeing as much as 30% return on investment if I can get a, a better interest rate. So we don't gouge our, um, our home buyers based on future purchase price. We really kind of go a little bit below your Ontario averages for certain markets. And we're still seeing great returns. And really, you know, our goal as investors is to try to bring down the, co- the borrowing costs. Because that eats up a big chunk of our profitability. So the lower our terms, the longer our amortization, that's kind of how we generate the, the, the profits. It's not at the expense of these people overpaying in the future for their rent-to-own property. Because at the end of the day, they're exiting um, into hopefully a bank-based mortgage. And banks are very conservative in how they appraise properties. So we want to make sure that our home buyers are satisfying the criteria that the bank is looking for, not just at the credit level, not just at the income level, but also in terms of purchase uh, value at the end of the day. Makes perfect sense. Does that answer it does, the yeah. question? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we've we've come to the fire round. I know it sounds really intense, but it's it's fairly harmless, like a, like a basket full of puppies. We, this is a series of questions we ask all our guests. Um, so um, we just like to get a fresh perspective on these types of things. So first off, um, Rachel, where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? Ooh, I see myself um, with my family on a holiday in Hawaii, and we're celebrating uh, our company helping 500 families rent to own a home. That's where I see ourselves. That's awesome. So with my family, celebrating something that I'm really passionate about and working towards. Fantastic. Where do you see the market itself going in the next 12 months? Hmm. Okay. So I see the market um, continuing to grow, to, to kind of go at a lukewarm pace as what we're kind of seeing now. I still see that the, you know, the lending rules are still going to be somewhat um, strict. I still see a lot of demand in the entry-level price points. Again, the price points that we're familiar with, which is the 350 to 450, um, and I and I still see, yeah, and I see because there's going to be demand from that price point. I see steady growth in that price point as well, um, which gives a lot of stability to the rent-to-own strategy, and of course, home buyers who are at the entry level. So. Yeah, I would say I'm pretty optimistic about growth in that price point. Uh, so, Rachel, who do you learn from? Um, I mean, obviously, there's probably lots of influences, but like maybe the top two people that you learn from. Well, I would say, as a, you know, I was fairly young when I got into the whole idea of mindset and that, you know, we, we are the creators of our reality. And um, I learned that from... Um, Bob Proctor, a fellow Canadian, he's kind of this like grandfather figure. I didn't have any grandparents when we when we immigrated from Ukraine. We left our extended family behind, so it was just my mom, my dad, and me. And I'm an only child, so I don't know. I gravitated to this um, white-haired gentleman that you know sounded like he made a lot of sense. So I followed Bob Proctor since I was about twenty, and um, you know nowadays I would say uh, to spice things up a little bit, I actually gravitate to Tony Robbins. 
I love his energy. And um, those are probably the two mainstream guys that, that keep me, you know, on the straight and arrow. <laughs> yeah, Tony Robbins for sure. We saw him speak last year, and he's pretty uh, inspirational. So I definitely agree with that one. Um, okay, next question. What are you currently reading? And if you're not a reader besides this podcast, which one are you currently listening to? <laughs> well, this is definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Um, and uh, I'm not a big reader, but I do listen to ebooks. And and I'm actually re-listening to an ebook that I read um, when I was in, in my university days, believe it or not. And it's called The Alchemist. Very, very good book. And um, another book that I also am I'm kind of doing two things in parallel. The other book that I really like that I'm listening to now is, um, oh gosh, now of course it's, uh, my brain is now... Oh, the, the richest, uh, the richest man in Babylon. That's the other one that I really like, and they're kind of a little bit um, old school. There's a bit of a historical vibe to them, uh, but I like it because they have a, a slightly different vibe, and it takes me out of my, you know, the way I think. So, Rachel, if you could do one thing differently in the past year, what would you say it would be? What would I do differently? I think that I'm always talking to my Mr. No about the fact that I'd like to diversify. Can I just say I love how you refer to him as Mr. No? And can I steal that and start calling Jay Mr. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, his initials have to be N-O for it to make sense. Yeah, it. her husband's initials are N-O. Oh. <laughs> Mine's J-S, so how, how are you going to wrangle that one? I don't know. Anyway, sorry. You were saying... But but uh, truthfully, Neil, you know, says no to all of my new cockamamie ideas. I think he's just on autopilot. I actually have to do a little show and tell for you. I have this little thing here that I got so tired of. Every time I would say something, I'd say, hey, Neil, how about we try? No. And he'd say, well, I have a new- no. So he would, wouldn't even listen to what I had to say, and he would just interject his no. So I found this little keychain that when I press this button, I'm going to play it for you guys so you can hear what I have to do to offset my Mr. No. That's amazing. This is my therapy. This Who is needs my Tony therapy? Robbins when you've got a keychain like that? <laughs> I have this little keychain, and he can say no to the cows come home, but I've got my little keychain always nearby see when i try and say no to erica she just says to me well we'll see about that and walks away (laughs) see erica i don't even waste my breath anymore i i just play my keychain for him and i'm I'm gonna amazon that like right after this call (laughs) does it come with your book rachel (laughs) and if not it should should. include it as a giveaway um, question. Um, what I wanted to do was actually get involved in a commercial property and um, and an Airbnb property. And I, I should have done more. Uh, I should have put more effort into convincing uh, Neil that this is what we need to do to diversify our portfolio. So that's probably the biggest thing that I would have done differently in the past 12 months. You've got time. I've got time. You're right. Awesome. Well, that uh, that that's pretty much sums up uh, everything we wanted to pepper you with, Rachel. So um, on behalf of myself, Jay, and Erica, 
and the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your obviously very busy schedule to uh, speak with us. And uh, we really appreciate your story, uh, you answering some questions, and, and you shedding some light on the, uh, the rent-to-own strategy. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. You guys have been a lot of fun. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for making some time, Rachel. I know you're coming back from a trip and all that, and we really appreciate uh, you uh, squeezing us in and uh, and making some time to talk about uh, your journey. That's amazing. Thank you. It's uh, Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I, it's, it's a great dynamic that you guys have, you know, the three of you kind of weighing in, and it, ke- it keeps the conversation a lot perkier uh, compared to a lot of the other podcasts I've listened to. So I think you guys have a good thing going on here. Was it as I described? Jay and Brian are really boring, and I'm the funny one. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yes, definitely sparkle and shine compared to the guys. Um, Aww. Keep on doing what you're doing. Girl power. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we girls have something special, and we need to bring it more often. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Spice Girls for life. So awesome. <laughs> Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's out of control. Yeah, I know. We should have just kept recording. We can do this again with lots of wine oh, no, this, this time. Is, this is still and in this, person. This yeah. is going to make the Gladly, count. gladly. Um, I'd love to help you guys uh, get the word out and promote, obviously. So will you be sending me a link when it's ready? Um, yep. Do you have uh, kind yep. of an idea of when, when yeah. it'll be coming down the pipe? Um, probably uh, it'll be probably in the next few weeks i'd say so okay. when that when that time comes we'll uh, we'll let you know for sure okay awesome thanks so much rachel uh, that'd be awesome thanks rachel appreciate it thank you guys good night okay. Take care. have bye. a good night bye, bye.